Hi, and welcome to The Social Angle, a podcast that helps promo pros gain an edge in the social media realm. I'm Vinny, and on this episode, I am joined by apparel decorating specialist, Eric Campbell, to discuss how he uses social media for business, tips for screen printers and embroiderers, and much more. Eric, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. We. It's funny because you and I have known each other for a long time, but we've never actually had a conversation. <laughs> and this is our first conversation. I'm excited to have you on. Um, I've noticed you on social media since I started back in 2009, and we'll, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. For sure. But I'm excited to have you here. So how, how are things going in Albuquerque? How's the weather? Uh, weather's good. It's cold. People always assume like, oh, you're in New Mexico. It's always warm. But we're up in the foothills of Sandia Mountains. I, I live over 7,000 feet. It's cold, but it's clear. That's the thing. Cold right. and clear. Not a lot of snow, but very crisp today. But you guys do get <laughs> snow. And I know we that do. because, you know, I watch Breaking Bad and, uh, you know, I know that you guys get snow out there. Um, probably have more snow this year than we have in Philadelphia. Every We actually got our first measurable sh- snow last night, oh, which wow. was just a coating. But February 1st, our first snow, it's so it's so late. It's uncharacteristic. Yeah, we do get a little bit. And a fun fact, since we're talking Breaking Bad, uh, I got to do a bunch of the stuff for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, a bunch of the screen use patches and stuff. So that's uh, filmed out here in Albuquerque. It was actually awesome. is local. So yeah, got to do some of that work. So that's you've seen great. patches on, on Better Call Saul in the early seasons. That was probably something I made. <laughs> I love both those shows. Big fan of those shows. Great, great. Yeah. All right, Eric. So before we get into the questions that I have for you, sure. uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, uh, how long you've been in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I currently, I work in embroidery software and in education for embroidery. However, uh, throughout my history, I've been an in-house digitizer and e-commerce manager, and I've been doing this for over 20 years now. So I started digitizing. I was still like a teen, you know, when I started digitizing, but in the very, very late nineties. So in-house digitizer operator and uh, came at it really as being somebody who worked on the, on the floor of a shop and then eventually came into educating and getting out there to the trade shows, teaching and writing. I've been writing for the magazines for many, many years. So that's, that's kind of where I come from really the embroidery space, but also the e-commerce space at the same time. So you wear many hats, like, like a lot of people in this industry. Always. Yeah. It's, it's hard not to wear many hats. And especially when you're in kind of a medium sized shop as I was, it was a definitely a commercial shop, not kind of the prosumer third bedroom shops that are on the rise, which by the way, I I love, I'm, I'm into that, but those shops really, Every person has to wear a few hats to get things done. Sure. I, and honestly, I, I was kind of the techie kid. I, I wrote all the websites. I also ran all the network cable. I built out the servers and I was doing all the embroidery digitizing. But for me, that was all part of the same thing. I just really right. wanted to you know, make something manifest out of what, what you can do on the computer. And that was the best thing. I'm here making a digital file and outputting it into real embroidery in 3D. It was just something that I really I enjoyed and did that while I was getting a completely unrelated degree, as many huh. of us do, uh, <laughs> and came, funny, back, yeah. came back to the industry. But yeah, did it through school and just never left. Awesome. And you've been in the industry, you said, over 20 years? Yeah, at this point, yeah. It's, okay. it's been quite a long time. So yeah, very late 90s when I first got in. I, I was a teenager, literally hucking boxes. Like That's what I started out doing. Huh. I was in the back of a delivery truck, uh, delivering boxes of t-shirts. Embroidery operator needed help one day. I started working on that. Then I ran a couple of 12 head embroidery machines and uh, noticed that in the corner, there was a computer under a desk cover and, you know, can't leave a techie kid alone with a computer. I asked what it was. Turns out it was a digitizing system that nobody was into. They were were scared to use. I was like, I can control these machines. And I, I, this is what I always say. My original boss gave me uh, 
all of the all of the ability and time I wanted to off the clock to learn by myself. So I got That's access. Awesome. These yeah. days, people would say, "Oh, well, maybe I should have gotten paid for that." Uh, okay, but yeah, I, I definitely spent a lot of like twenty hour days. I just about sleep in that shop because I got I had the keys of the shop and I was allowed to learn how to digitize. And I taught myself for the first uh, several months just in huh. the dark. Also, why I became an educator, because when I first taught myself, it was all trial and error, and it was quite difficult. Yeah. And I wanted to save people all the pitfalls that I had to go through. <laughs> all right. So you got, you've got definitely a, a pretty good story here. Um, you know, sure. you, a lot of uh, education, a lot of history, a lot of experience mm -hmm. in this industry. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy to have you. So, Eric, I mentioned earlier yeah. that, uh, you know, I, I've known you for a long time, but I've never actually had a conversation with you. Uh, you know, you're one of the first promo people that I saw using social media way back in your black duck days yeah um, yeah so what was the lore of social media back you know 2009 2010 um for for your business um and how has it changed for the better well the lure of social media back then was honestly a little bit of it was just blue sky uh, yeah. the people who were there were very into it and there's novelty it's something i talk about when i talk about selling apparel or any sort of promotional products is that one of the things that drives purchases is novelty well one of the things that drives interaction is novelty too and at the time it was very novel to be out there and to be able to tell your story so there's kind of this blue sky appeal and also hey being able to actually articulate your story and in a very visual way especially as it came into its maturity show what we do. The stuff we do is very visually interesting. So early on, it was like pictures and previous to video, we could roll out, have images, have uh, discussions, roll out from what was essentially blog post to interaction, and then mm -hmm. having direct interaction with potential clients. Uh, the funny thing is every time we talk about social media, and I've said the same thing for many years, the key word in the phrase social media is social. It's very much the same thing that you would do kind of over the barrel head, you know, over the counter in a traditional shop. Sure. But we just got to scale that up and expose it to more people. And then eventually, as uh, kind of in the heyday of social media, when we had targeted advertising, as it got more, you know, as it got more and more complicated and, and complex and, and right. actually complete feature wise, um, we could target ads very, you know, really finely. I think that's kind of gone a little bit by the wayside in some platforms. It's hard. It's a lot more pay to play. It's harder sure. to get targeted ads to, to play the way you would want to. Uh, and especially in the last few years, but early on, it was just wide open. There was, there was so much opportunity there. And for the people who were there, you had a lot of engagement and it was a, a like I said, like a kind of target rich environment. People were there, they were interested. They also were uh, wanting to share what they were finding on social media with their friends. So they wanted to be curators. If you had good content, they could be the hero who brought the cool thing to the rest of their social group. Right. And though that's still what we're doing now, um, in those earlier days, it was active. The concept of people just curating all the stuff coming through their social media feeds was huge. And right. getting out there and being visible at that time was gold because, it, like I said, it was blue sky. There just weren't, weren't a lot of people doing it. And when you got out there and had something that hit that was interesting, you could get a lot of exposure pretty quickly. Yeah, I, totally. And it was, you know, you say blue sky, I call it the Wild yeah. West. Um, yeah. I think that back in the day, you know, you were limited in a lot of ways. Uh, when we first started, there was no video capabilities, sure. no live sure. streaming. Uh, but I think just being able to embrace it jumping into it as a new marketing avenue for your business. I think that's how I was able to meet a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, these people in the industry, you, uh, you know, Danny Rosen, uh, sure. Curry Haasman. There's so many people that are, you know, I met in this industry because they were sort of pioneers of social media jumping in. Dana's as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, like it was, it was the wild, wild west. Now it's changed a lot. What do you see 
in the evolution of social media that's that has changed for the better? I think what's changed for the better is honestly part of it is the technology because we just have the ability to share things like this live streaming, uh, the ability to have absolute direct conversations with people live and to have it be easy to put together. And honestly, the technology surrounding it has changed. Everybody is currently carrying in their pocket a cell phone that is capable of doing so much of the work that we used to have to offload. I, I used to have to run you know, camera equipment and other things to make decent content. And now any phone that I pick up middle of the road to flagship is probably good enough to do decent content that's worthwhile to take nice images, to have decent video. Um, and honestly, the other thing that's changed is acceptance. There is now no market, there is no segment that social media doesn't touch. Right. There was a period of time where it was like, oh, who's really on this thing? I remember that. Or gosh, I remember the early days of Instagram where people were, uh, show, this is the, always the, the critical thing people would say is like, who wants to look at pictures of someone's sandwich? Well, it turns out thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people want to look at pictures of someone's yeah. sandwich because it's relatable. And when we had this super visual medium, as it's become more visual, as it's become uh, easier to share video and our technology is better, it's so much easier to go into your shop and show the work you're doing. And and to show uh, events you're at, it's no longer very hard to do live events, to do things where you can really get into the interaction. And the tools, the software, the ability to edit, incredibly easy comparatively to what we used to have to do. So on that side, it's great. Behind the scenes, it's great. And on the front end, we just have an acceptance of this concept of influencers, the concept of, of people really kind of consuming social media as an entertainment stream that's really widespread it means there's a lot of a lot of ground to cover there's a lot of people there the only problem is it also means there's a lot of static that there's right. a lot of noise in the in this space and we don't have like we said that blue sky is not there anymore right, right. Um, but we do have a lot of long tail that's the other thing people talk about a lot and I, I really enjoy small interest groups can get a space put it together and then you can market to your small interest group and fulfill their needs and it, it is absolutely possible for normal people to set up individual stores, individual channels that are for very niche groups that are that are engaged and who want products, who want the stuff that you have to right. sell. It's it's much easier to do that. And we have the ability to kind of broadly uh, service these, these niche groups, especially as our technology as decorators change. We couldn't do that. We couldn't do that 10, 15 no. years ago. I mean, not, it was not quite the same way. Yeah. I mean, it's Not a lot has changed. I would agree. Uh, the live streaming, the the video yeah. capabilities of social media, have really set it apart from where it is today. You know, compared to where it was uh, ten years ago, where you couldn't do video. The only thing you could do was share a YouTube link. And sure. To me, that was like that was great at the time, but now you can create video on all the platforms. You can do live streams on most of the platforms, yeah. and I think that's what really has separated uh, social media today from from you know yesteryear now uh, we like you said we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now if it wasn't sure. for the upgrades in the technology uh and it's it, to me i feel like it's a blessing sure so we talked about how many hats you wear we all wear many hats um <laughs> but you know apparel decorator seems to be what you do uh it's your passion can you tell us sure. a little bit about how you got into this line of work i know you mentioned a little bit about you know finding that machine back in the 90s and, and yeah, kind of sure. tinkering with that were you always interested in in apparel decoration Funny thing is, I didn't really start out that way. And I, I think sometimes people are a little disappointed when they hear that I wasn't, you know, five year old, five years old walking around with a needle trying to embroider everything. Um, at the same time, it's just something that I, it, I fell 
into, but I loved it once I did. And, and really, it started out for me just being around the machines. I always wanted to work on equipment, machinery, technology. If I was around something, I wanted to get my hands on it. And uh, especially when we had things that were the means of production. And, you know, it's really fantastic to be able to control that stuff. So when I was in the shop that I worked at, it was not Black Duck. It was the shop previous to that I worked at for some years. Um, it, the the concept really was that I had the willingness to get on these machines and try it out. And I do, I did love things like patches and emblems and printing. And I was into digital art really early on in the days where we were really doing pixel art and 256 colors was a big thing. When I was a little kid, that's when I started doing art on really old school computers, had computers at home when I was a kid. And the concept of being able to take that digital art and make something physical really, really appealed to me. So I just took off into it and, and loved it immediately, especially once I could do the digitizing, once I could control it. And I learned that these machines were, and, and they are, they're friendly embroidery robots. That's what I say. We've got this machine that has an X, Y axis on it that we can control, tell the needles when to be up and down and tell it how to handle the sequence. And it's very much like CNC or any kind of uh, production, you know? So it's that same kind of thing. You just have the ability to right. control those machines, and it's something that I always thought was, you know, very enjoyable. Okay, so, so yeah, it's something that you didn't really kind of grow up wanting to do. It was more no. something you you kind of turned into. Now, I, and... Admittedly, I was around a lot of apparel. Uh, my my mother, who did a lot of other jobs. Uh, between and she did, she ended up not doing this all the time but she really uh, worked on sewing and was a you know was a sewist the word has changed over the years sewist, I, always huh? say, I always want to say seamstress and that's not probably the proper term anymore it's what she used to say but she when she was uh, younger she did that and so i have been around sewing my whole life so i was comfortable enough with it i think that may okay. have that certainly applied to it once i started working with it I had seen embroidery, I had seen sewing and so the concept of it wasn't alien to me though i'll be honest right now i can't sew a shirt I can't make a garment. I'm not. I'm right. not that person. There are a lot of embroideries you can. I'm a decorator, <laughs> decorator primarily. Right, I can make embroidery, right. but I'm hiring somebody to sew the shirt if I can help it. <laughs> huh. well, that's interesting to know. Uh, a a sure. sewist. I've never heard that. Uh, that there, phrase. there are lots of different terms. I I always use because wait, a sewer is spelled like sewer. It doesn't look good. So <laughs> sewist is one that yeah. I like. But but yeah, I'm trying to come up with a better term. But yeah, my mom used to say she was a seamstress. Yes, yeah, sewer is sewer so yeah so it's just nicer yeah you want to kind of uh move away from sewer or sewer <laughs> yeah. it's spelled weird yeah it looks yeah. weird i've seen people yeah. use all of these but yeah sewist sounds a, a little nice like yeah artists. yeah and it's a it's a hard thing to do that takes a lot of skill so yeah, sewist I, is yeah nice. I, I don't have the patience for that um and yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I my grandmother used to do it but you know she, yeah she had more patience than i do um so let's talk about your weekly show. You you have a sure. show called The Take Up uh, that yes. aims to educate the apparel decorating community. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this endeavor and how it's been received? Is it difficult to, to run and prepare for? Sure. Yeah, it's really for the embroidery community. Certainly, I talk about business as well sometimes, but most of the time it's for digitizing the embroidery community. It's for uh, people who are going to be in kind of that digitizing and decorating space. But yeah, it's not it's not difficult. It's a fully live show. So luckily, I, I do get to just kind of go live like we're doing here. Uh, I let it be off the cuff. I do some live interaction and the setup for it. Yes, I do have to set up. I do have to do a little bit of work to have kind of my visual aids of my displays and banners and the kind of things that I do because I do often have materials but really it's born out of my experience so I'm going to admit to everybody right now even though it looks very hard a lot of it is off the cuff a lot of it is me saying here's an outline for things I want to talk about here are some points that I want to hit but I don't write the entire show out before I start 
Um, as far as getting it set up technically, technically, I actually have a pretty simple setup. Uh, I've got a decent mic here. Uh, I just switched this new mic from Samson, which is kind of a, it's not a very well-known brand, but uh, a new mic from Samson. So I have, I make sure my audio is nice. Uh, I do have an old school Logitech C920, which was kind of like the streamer's choice for a very long time. I'm still running that. I, I may upgrade to something with a little more resolution soon, but that's usually what I do. I make sure the audio is good. I have a decent camera that's got some decent resolution on it. It's not, it's not everything it could be, but it's decent. And mostly I do a lot of talking head stuff and showing software and showing uh, visual aids. So it's something that I don't have to do uh, kind of live work with. If I were somebody doing this in decorating right now, uh, I would imagine having better cameras, having something else. You can certainly use your phone. Uh, people use you know DSLRs that have other abilities, but if you're doing like shop videos, setting up, having tripods, having stabilizers, any of that stuff can be helpful. Um, those are, are great to be able to do kind of live shop tours type work. But at the same time, if you're just doing the talking head stuff, the interview stuff, yeah, a very good webcam and a, a decent mic is most of what yeah. you need to do. Yeah, we talked offline, and yeah. uh, this is something that a lot of people think when they see something like this online yeah. that it, it takes a lot, and it really doesn't. And that's kind of the, the gist is that you can do these things. You just have to really investigate and research and sure. find out that if you have a phone, if you have a smartphone, um, it's it's really all you you need, and you could get a lot done. Like right now, we're using a third party sh um, streaming software that looks like it's it's causing some problems on Facebook. I have a few yeah, people seems like it commenting um, <laughs> that they can't hear, but they can see it. Now, what I'm going to do is I'll I'll just drop a link in. Um, unfortunately, we're also streaming on LinkedIn. I think I don't think there's any issues over there. I'm going to I'm yeah. going to get a link there and drop them in, but. <laughs> You know, we're we're streaming through a a third party here, but you don't necessarily have to have that, Eric. You can do everything. You could do live streaming right through the phone. Now, sure. that that to me, I feel like is is an asset for a lot of people. They when they think that hey, this is this is something I I, I probably cannot do, but in reality, if you just Google it, you you research it, you could probably do it right with your phone. Oh, absolutely. In fact, a lot of these streamers really do. And especially as we see the advent of things like TikTok, where it's very, yes, there are produced TikToks. There are people who are doing full production. It's it's really centered around the phone. And it's really about kind of the personality of the people and sharing things very authentically. Certainly, there's, there's lots of setup and people do makeup and every other thing you can imagine, just like they're doing what we used to think of as, as like a TV spot. Of course, the people are doing that. But the the tolerance and desire for an authentic connection to people is at its ultimate high. People will allow for so much. And really, it's about having that message that expresses who you are, what you do, and what's important to you that's going to help with people. You know, it's going to help people connecting to you. I mean, there's there's certainly some buzzwords around this, like the parasocial relationship. If people don't know what that is, people tend to believe that they know you and feel like they're your friend when you're online a lot, when you're consistent with them. But the thing is, sometimes that works in our benefit because when we share who we are and we get out there, whether it's authentically over, you know, low kind of low res phone stuff, or we're just doing it, you know, a, a gorilla style as we're working, doing video, just talking head stuff, whatever it is, as we continue to share and share who we are and talk candidly with people, they feel like they know you and that becomes kind of social trust that becomes social proof. They see what you're working on. They see who you are, and they and they get to feel like that they can trust you and know you, and that can be good in in a business sense as well as uh, people do using it for influence. Right, right. So let me ask you about uh, the platforms that 
you've sure. had the most success with and the least on social yeah. media? Well, to be honest with you, it's all about demographics. Everybody says, oh, what platform should I start on? And I, I always say, well, who are you serving? You know, what what's the demographic of the people you're working on and where are they? As much as it sounds funny, you you can say that, okay, TikTok is the new hot platform. I remember when we had this discussion, everybody said, absolutely, Facebook. And I also know that currently people will say, don't do Facebook. It's all old people. I've, and being a middle-aged person, hey, I feel that. I feel that. I understand. Right, right. At the same time, uh, depending on where you are, with the company I'm working with in Brilliance right now, we do uh, embroidery software. We have a couple of different like demographic bumps, I call them, places where we have different groupings. The older grouping, still very heavy on Facebook. If that's mm -hmm. your market... Leaving Facebook because it's quote unquote not cool anymore is at your peril because your people are there, your audience right, is there. Right. And also, we've had great a uh, great deal of luck with Facebook groups because what we do often has a social interaction and an instructional capacity where people talking to each other about how to use our software is part of what we get out of it. Mm -hmm. Groups might not work for an apparel decorator, and I would say they're more likely to have traction on Instagram or on TikTok. But then it really depends on who's there. If you don't have audience on TikTok or you're not aiming to gain one, uh, people the kind of people who are using TikTok regularly, then it's probably not the space for you. At the same time, I'm seeing lots of decorators making hay over on TikTok because they're showing these small communities exactly what they're about. Uh, especially there are now decorators who are also designers and they have their own lines. As much as we always joke around in the apparel decoration space, that everybody's got the best idea for a t-shirt ever. And, and we're like, okay, let me get your deposit up front. Uh, but at the same time, there are people who are really, they're coming up with their concepts. They develop these little audiences who uh, trust in those concepts or, or who have some sort of vibe with the concept that the algorithm keeps delivering them back to that to that creator and they're selling, selling out, you know, small run right. apparel all the time. Yeah. I think, you know, the answer is never the same whoever no. I talk to because, no. and I, you nailed it when you said it's where your audience is. Yeah. And I've noticed that, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of Facebook. I, I have been, sure. even though for personal use, I'm not a big fan, but for yeah. businesses, you, you can find your people, you can find, uh, potential prospects you can find your tribe so to speak yeah in some sort of facebook group somewhere like they exist they're out there there are billions they, they say of people and groups are huge you can find a group for anything and if you go yeah. into those groups and you engage and you start to network you're going to find that there are a lot of people in there that you could potentially be doing business with in any area of, of promotional products now that said there are other networks and, and people sure. love TikTok. And yeah. I think TikTok, obviously it's, it's the hot network. It's been hot for a couple of years now. And I don't think it's going away. I, and I'm a proponent too of, of TikTok only because you can create really good quality video with a lot of what, you know, these, these newfangled technologies overlays, uh, sure. audio and uh, texts. And there's so much you could do on TikTok, but the allure of TikTok for me is that you can repurpose that content and push it out on other networks and get more yeah. bang for your buck on other networks with content that you create in TikTok. Uh, so it, I think it's it's behooves a business if you want to create some good content, you can you can have a TikTok account, but also repurpose it elsewhere. Yeah, you can repurpose it YouTube Shorts. You can do Instagram mm -hmm. Reels, and I think that's fine. I think there's no reason not to do that. I think that uh, the only thing I see sometimes with people with TikTok and you can play this for, for laughs or for itself and make it work out. Hey, I'm a 40 plus year old guy. 
I don't go in there and say, Hey man, no cap. It's lit fam. I'm not going right, to go in there right, and try right. and be 20 right now or right, 18 right. or 13. I'm not going to try and do that. Um, I'm going to authentically talk about it. Don't get me wrong. I see people playing that for laughs and it works. So if that works right. for you, fine. Right. If that's the, if the joke is that you're out of touch and it's funny, awesome. Right. But it may not be your whole personality. As long as you go in there authentically, whatever platform you're going to be is, is going to work out for you better that way. If you're consistent and you have a voice. Now, I'm going to say this too. Funny enough, other platforms have worked for me over the years. LinkedIn and weirdly enough, LinkedIn groups, which now has kind of gone entirely by the wayside. I, for a long time, I had a great deal of kind of penetration there where I would put something mm-hmm. out in a LinkedIn group, a, a specific, um, it, and specifically like an, an embroidery group, an apparel decoration group, apparel marketing groups, mm-hmm. um, fashion groups, even though it was just kind of tertiary, it was not exactly related to my stuff. And then they'd come by, they'd come in for education, ask questions about embroidery and then kind of join in and understand. They're like, oh, hey, well, if you're somebody who knows this, where do you get your work from? And if I was somebody who's currently at a shop and when I was, I could direct them to my shop for that stuff. So I was doing educational work to teach people about embroidery, but when people are further afield, invariably, even now when I teach, I teach digitizing at the big trade shows, the first question almost always, and if not the first within the top five, when someone comes up to the table after the class is, can you just do it for me? If I were contracting digitizing right now, I would have no end of clients. Being a subject matter expert, and that's the same from back in the day when we first started right. this, being a subject matter expert and and being seen as someone who can project that and who does know what they're talking about and has some social proof for that, but from the uptake and from people seeing your actual work uh, really can lead to some stuff. And like I said, right. LinkedIn, surprisingly enough, and these days, weirdly enough, if you're on platforms like Amazon, let's say you're selling on Amazon, Amazon has a social component. They have a social media component they integrated. Is it the best? No. Would I spend my right. time on Amazon social? No. Do I see people making sales on Amazon right. social? Yes, I do. Huh. Absolutely. I see. And also having a storefront on Amazon, I've seen that uh, social components that point to that storefront huh. inside the Amazon ecosystem do drive traffic. Well, but it's something well. you'd never think of. It's And it's something that you would never expect. Also, people, as much as it's not traditionally social media, don't sleep on your email list. Yeah. I think yeah. it's in the same vein. And people have forgotten that newsletters work, but newsletters still work, especially if you have a demographic of people who still use email. Jeff Bezos in the social media game. Who knew? Bizarre. Yeah, it's bizarre. (laughs) I admit, I think it's bizarre. But if you've ever seen like QVC or any sort of shopping TV, they also have live video content on the Amazon homepage that sellers can involve themselves in or influencers. And if you're selling in those kind of markets, it's worthwhile to at least see what it is, especially when it first starts out. Because as we know, when when you first start out a new market or a new platform, the people who are interested in that platform taking off will absolutely promote you to the nth degree if you're one of their early adopters. So when one of these things launches, I always stop and take a look at it because even if I'm not going to continue it on in perpetuity as we try it out, Mm. that first little push when they're trying to make it a thing, like the Amazon social, if you were one of the first people on Amazon social, you had all the audience, even if it was smaller. We're talking about a massive marketplace. A small segment of a massive marketplace audience is a worthwhile endeavor. I agree. I agree. All right, Eric, before we get into the unscripted, uh, you know, sure. thought provoking questions, uh, any final tips for, for anybody who's in the decorating business who wants to jump onto social media? Yeah, I think the biggest tip here is to show what you do. So definitely show what you're doing, show the kind of product you have, but show what it does. What is it good for? What problems it solves? Show the kind of work you want to do in continuance. So the kind of work that you think is the most profitable and also the most enjoyable for you, if that's part of what you're looking for, your calculus, make sure you're showing that work because what you show is what people will ask for. 
and be your authentic self. Uh, whether that's about your, it, it can still be crafted as a corporate message. Your corporate culture is authentic to your company, sure. but be out, be out there and sharing exactly who you are and what you stand for. Because having a, it's what I always say about marketing in general. If you are, if you say your market is everybody, it's nobody. If you say your specialty is everything, it's nothing. Even though you have a specialty, it doesn't mean you can't do other things for people. They will see your specialty, see your expertise, see your market and say, wow, this is somebody who knows their business and still ask you for something that's more of a, a generic, you know, generic decoration uh -huh. project because they trust that specialty. They see that your skill is there. They will then trust you with the staples. They'll trust you with the other stuff that you're not necessarily advertising toward. You don't have to turn down business just because you market to a direct audience. 100%. I, I yeah. feel like just being visual on social yeah. media, whether or not you're the CEO, either you're the social media manager, whoever you are, if you're a small yeah. mom and pop business, uh, you know, you're one, two people, three people, get on camera, get in, sure. get on the videos, show what you do, be authentic, try to educate. And I think that is going to be the, you know, the real ticket for, for standing out on social media and don't sell. You know, I try to yeah, try to yeah. preach that all the time. Stop selling, you know, it's not selling. <laughs> you're going to get, if you stand out, remain top of mind, uh, sure. you're going to network, you're going to get uh, sales. Sales are going to be a byproduct of that. So uh, I think those are important. All right, Eric, now I'm going to ask you a, a handful <laughs> of questions that uh, awesome. you have no knowledge of. And I just, you know, this is something to, you know, I introduced in 2023 and I want to, you know, my guests to kind of think on their feet and kind of, you know, give the most authentic answers to these questions. So question number one, who has been yes. your most important professional mentor? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. My most important professional mentor. It's hard because I've had so many good ones. Um, recently, I'm going to say that he he's really taken a lot of, of space in my mind lately. It's uh, Brian Bailey, who's the creator of Imbrilliance. He wrote the software I currently work for, uh, that company. He's been incredible. And so I have to say he's taken a lot of primacy, uh, especially in recent years, because he's taught me a lot about what's going on behind the scenes. I would have to say overall, though, um, I, I know this is going to sound cheesy, uh, but a lot of it was my mom. Oh, that okay. sounds funny. Why am I going to say that? Because a lot of it was about doing the best work and doing the work that needed to get done. And I think that if I look at overall between my, my mom and my dad, my dad was a very hard worker, always a mechanic. He always put in the hours and was never afraid to do something hard. My mom always would look for the place where something was lacking and do the work that needed to get done. Huh. And I think that's what I've always done too. I know it sounds funny to say but your professional mentor. And I, I, I could talk about all the wonderful people I've worked with. And I would love to name everybody's names. There's tons of folks. So those the guys, the two regular guys who've been awesome, you know, Aaron and Terry. I've been their producer at their their uh, show for a very long time, and that's been incredible. There's been all the people I've learned from. My first operator, Elena, who helped me learn embroidery machines, huge. But if I really look at the values that have carried me throughout this, I have to say it's my parents. I love uh, that and, and I know it's I love my parents. That that's yeah, a, that's the, a great answer, Eric. It's just true. To me, I feel like if somebody <laughs> asked me this question, I would have a very difficult time answering it yeah. as well. It's tough. Because there it's are a tough. lot of people that you could you can give that shout out to. But to oh, me, yeah. I feel like your folks, your your mom, yeah. your dad, whoever it is who sort of instilled a lot of your values and your uh you know, the, the qualities that That's you true, that yeah. you bear, that you know, they are probably responsible for who you are today. So yes, um it's a it's a very good 
poli- political <laughs> answer. You, know, you, you don't want to name somebody. Well, here's, um, here's the other thing I'm going to say. I want to one more little tiny shout out. I know I, I was supposed to give one answer. And I gave 10, but I, I'm, I'm going to take this privilege. Uh, the it. one other thing I'm going to say is all you folks who wrote from the early magazines, when I was first learning by myself, I spent months learning digitizing entirely on my own. Uh, I was in full production before I had ever seen a magazine or a how-to article, or, and I only have ever been in one class in my life, and I was already already digitizing at the time. I was already commercially in full production. But when I first found my first magazines, so I think about like Bonnie and Jerry Lee and the people who wrote for the magazines, you guys know you know in the embroidery right. world, you and original magazine authors just saved my life because I felt like I wasn't alone for the first time huh. ever. And to talk about the the original parasocial relationship, I had stars in my eyes when I met these folks. Now we're all friends and we know each other. Huh. And now I have taught on the same, you know, on the same podiums that they teach on. And I've been around where they were and I can't say enough for, for them. So if I want, the other the other half of this is you folks who are the original educators in our industry who stepped up and said, I'm going to share at a time when back in the day digitizing was seen as a secret and i got i got huh. chewed out from some old school digitizers who said you're sharing everything that we learned this is why are you right. sharing all of our secrets interesting and okay those folks who published i can't thank you enough that's, that's awesome that's well it's good that you wrapped up there because the the academy award bell was dinging <laughs> right they're telling you to get off stage um, i know i know okay I, I got a couple more questions for you sure uh, Let's do it. so are you a dog person or a cat person or something else uh, I would say I had dogs when I was growing up, but I am a cat person now. Uh, my wife is a big cat person, and okay. uh, we actually—this is the thing people don't know—we have six cats. Oh wow! Six cats. We originally had a couple cats, and uh, we were we were fostering and took taking care of a pregnant mama cat. And right at the time when everyone had cats and no one would take them, and we just said we couldn't let them go on the street. So now sure. I have six little cats, and oh, wow. uh, they are that's, awesome. I love. That's them. a lot of work. I I grew up a cat person. Cats yep. all my life. Yeah. Uh, married my wife, who's allergic to cats. Uh, so now I'm a dog person. <laughs> uh, I again, this is another question I would have very difficult time answering because I can go either way on that. I, I love my dog, but you know I love cats too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you and I are both on the same page with that one. All right. So last question for you, Eric. Sure. What is your all-time favorite movie? Which is probably a very difficult question to wow. answer as well. All-time favorite movie. That is super tough. I hadn't even thought about one of that. You know, here, here's what I'll say. I think that uh, the Lord of the Rings movies uh-huh. as a whole, because, boy, I have watched all of those. That's probably a, an all-time favorite. I will watch them repeatedly. But the funny thing is, when I was a kid, I'm just going to admit this, it was RoboCop. Oh, wow. I love Which is so, yeah. so goofy. I know. Goofy, violent. I watched it way too early. But for some reason, there was just something. And funny enough, that was the whole concept of controlling embroidery machines. There was just, boy, a robot person. I was like, sign me up. When I yeah. got a little older, it was like uh, Ghost in the Shell anime, stuff like that. Right, right. I was like, man, I'm super into sci-fi. So the funny thing is the two sides of my life are are like that. It's like history and then the fantasy coming from it guys if you don't know my my degree is in medieval studies so uh tolkien oh, wow. tolkien okay, the guy yeah. who wrote uh lord of the rings and, sure. and the hobbit was a medievalist he was actually an anglo-saxon medievalist which i was kind of on that track huh uh so love that side of the world so the fantasy side of the world is there but the other side for me has always been sci-fi as and then for some reason when i was a kid i don't know robocop spoke to me as violent and an awful as that movie was i just watched that i, I burned out that vhs and i that's great I'm dating myself but it's absolutely true great so movie there, i mean I, I actually saw that in the theaters if you could believe i was 15 when i came out i believe it was 1987 mm. i saw that in the theaters loved it uh like you said it's it's violent it's it's <laughs> 
inappropriate. But totally. to me, I feel like it's I, I saw it not too long ago, a couple of years ago, and it still held it holds up really well. I I love totally. the one liners. I buy that for a dollar. Like there are so many classic well, lines of that levels. movie. It's on levels too, because it's like it's yeah. a social commentary too. If if you really stop and right. and lean back and do and do your best like literary, you know, your literary examination of Robocop, there's a total social commentary totally. there. There's a question about what makes you human, about right. authority in, in the world. There's a lot of stuff going on in Robocop, but admittedly it's also a popcorn flick. So totally. totally. <laughs> and hey, cool robot stuff. That's all I I just wanted desperately to be a robot. I don't know. I I'm still right now just I wanted to be Peter Weller. Peter Weller yes. and Robocop. Which by the way, who has a history PhD, Peter Weller. A, a yeah. very educated dude. If you ever yep. see him on, on social media now, he talks about it. It's kind of huh. funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, Eric, this has been a great conversation despite awesome, our man. tech issues on social media. Yeah. I, I had a professor <laughs> in college who would always who would tell me this is in the nineties. And yeah. he would say technology will fail will fail you. Count on it. <laughs> and it looks like we may have had some technology technological issues. I'm hoping that this episode held up for the archive so that I can stream it out. Yep. Otherwise, we're going to be doing this again at some point. But again, <laughs> Eric, this has been a great conversation. How could people reach you if they want to do so? Hey, the best and easiest way to do it, my name is a weird spelling. It's E-R-I-C-H. If you go to ericcampbell.com or search for me, it's very easy to find me after this many years of consistently being on social media. Uh, but the best way to really kind of get in touch with me is to see me on Fridays. So 2.30 Mountain Time PM, I am on The Take Up on YouTube, on honestly, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitch. I stream all of them concurrently. So wherever you are, you can get to it if you want to go to youtube go to ericcampbell.com there's a tab at the top that says the take up and you can get the full playlist of 130 plus episodes of me talking about embroidery uh decorative apparel business and uh, everything around that yes that's e rich that's how i remember yes, it. I go, yes. e rich because i know that <laughs> you know when look you very distinctive spelling for your name sure. but i remember you messaging one i think it was you were messaging me or i saw it on social media where yeah. if people get your name wrong once it's okay but when they consistently get it wrong when they know how it's spelled it's it's a little bit off-putting but it's easy to find your social sure. because it's eric campbell e-r-i-c-h C-H. yeah yep. if you if you get the funny german german spelling if you know erich well then you know yeah that's that's when you got me and honestly i feel bad for the other couple of them there are there's there was an actor is a show called like one tree hill and this poor uh, actor uh probably very much wanted one wanted ericcampbell.com back then and had to under wonder oh, wow. every day who was this goofy embroidery guy who was so early on the web <laughs> that i can't get any accounts well sorry dude <laughs> sorry eric it's been taken <laughs> it's been taken by all right eric early. <laughs> thank you for your time today for eric i'm Vinny. we'll see you